Well, if you're new to Radiance, uh, we do a mix of preaching through a book, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We haven't done that in a while. We've been doing a couple short series. We're going to get back to that, I promise. This is uh, a series that's been on my heart as we looked at the calendar year uh, back in 2020, looking at 2021, and it's called The Real Deal. I got to be honest with you, I wanted to call it Unmasked. But I had some wise people say that's probably not a good idea because masks are so like, you know, emotionally charged topic in our, in our society right now. So we're not calling it unmasked. But with that, with that in mind, I want to explain where we're going with this. Um, I believe that uh, oftentimes we live the Christian life wearing a mask. I'm going to try to leave, I'm trying, I'm going to try to leave the mask, uh, I'm going to leave the mask alone. But let me make that statement. Oftentimes, we, we, and, and I'm, I'm sure that's not what God has called us to. It's funny because what does Jesus call us to in, John, in chapter 10? He says, I bring life, life abundant. And yet it seems like sometimes the very thing that's supposed to be abundant life becomes the burden life. Like, wouldn't it be easier not to have this thing of faith? Because my, my Christian life is like Christian burden and not an abundant life that Jesus had promised. I know some of us are saying, wait a minute, Jerome, there's abundant life. There's, what about those moments when he gives us strength in, in, in trials and sickness? Absolutely, we experience that. But how, what about the ordinary days of us living life, making mistakes, falling short again and again? See, what I, what, what, what I fear happens is what happened to me when I played baseball as a kid, uh, as a in high school in particular. Uh, I had a lot of my identity wrapped up in baseball. That's what happens when you're good at something. No, just kidding. Uh, I had a lot of my identity wrapped up in that. And so like, if I struck out or hit a dribbler, I still probably do this in softball. You could ask the guys. If I hit a weak dribbler to second baseman, because I'm a lefty, I kind of like, rah, 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 and I, you know, crud. And can I say crud from the pulpit? I just did, so live with it. But I used to smack my helmet, because I wanted everyone to know that I was not approving of myself. I wanted everyone to know that I know I messed up. And really what happened is I began to perform with guilt and shame. Guilt saying, hey, I messed up. And I recognized that. And shame was like, man, what's wrong with me? I got to do better. I got to try harder. That performance mentality, and, and, and I don't know that everyone here played baseball, but we all probably had this area of our life where we perform, transfers really easily to how I live out my Christian life. And that performance mentality really quickly saps the abundance out of the abundant life, which becomes a difficult thing. My performance as a Christian, as a father, as a husband, and as a pastor. See, what happens if you fail to perform is you have to present the best side of you. You have to posture and pose. We learn that really early on in church, don't we? It's not just me, is it? We do learn that early on. See, what's dangerous about this is our failures, most of them are actually unknown to other people. So like we could, put, we, could, we could posture, we could pose for other people, but on the inside, oftentimes, we're ashamed of ourselves. On the inside, when we mess up, we find ourselves, and we think maybe that's what God wants for us, but I promise you that's not. On the inside, we're afraid that God is ashamed of us too. I don't think I'm the only one here who, when I mess up, I kind of feel like, well, God and I are taking a time out. I'm going to have to wait a little bit before I can come back and really kind of have a good relationship with him. You know, kind of like, that's not God's, he didn't say that. Like, you messed up, stay away from me for a while until you cool down. It's not what he said, but somehow we, we do that. We play PR manager for ourselves. 
And sometimes we can, make, we can convince ourselves and be not honest with ourselves and say all we're doing is, is, is trying to present our best side to others, but we're really just playing, you know, or we're pretending. So sometimes we're not the real deal, which is the name of the series. Sometimes we live our life not the real deal, and it's a, it's a hard way to live. Because if you live that way, it's, tr- it's risky to be transparent, because you, can you trust others with who you really are? Even convinced that maybe we can't trust God with who we are, and sometimes we don't even want to deal with ourselves and trust ourselves with who we are. I, I'm ashamed to say this, but when I was a, a youth pastor, I, I preached a message once, and it was a really great emotional moment. And I remember saying, man, Jesus died on the cross for you, and you can't even, whatever the blank was. That's, that's shame right there. Look what Jesus has done for you. And this is the thanks you, you repay him with? Lord forbid I ever preach a sermon like that on this pulpit. But somehow, some way, I think we grow up sometimes, if you grew up in church, I don't want to pick on church people, I'm a church people person. But somehow, some way, we kind of grow up thinking that's preaching. Shame and guilt aren't far behind when you do that thing that you know you shouldn't do. When you fail to say no, when you wish you did. And when you repeat the same mistake over and over and over again. Guilt and shame sometimes prevents us from being real with other people, but it really, for a lot of the things that we do that people don't know about, it's just this miserable existence. It's it's not life abundant. It's a life as a burden. The Christian life. We learn to fake it. We're afraid of being rejected by the church by God and by others. And so we do what I did when I was uh, not performing well on the baseball field. I'd squeeze the bat harder. Like, this is going to get me a hit. I'm going to try. I'm going to squeeze. We do that sometimes with our Christian life. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to get this right. Can I, can I be honest with you? I was a youth. It's not, can I be dishonest with you? Can I be dishonest with you? I was once a fighter pilot. No. Can I be honest with you? I was a youth. Many of you know I was a youth pastor before I became the pastor of Radiance. And one of the issues in youth ministry is there's an enormous dropout rate of people who opt out of faith when they get out of high school. There's a number of reasons for that, like helicopter parents, and there's, just, there's a lot of other reasons, not, not embracing your faith. I'm not going to go into those reasons, but one of those things that I think is transferable to anybody and why people opt out of faith is because perhaps we somehow, with good intentions, set people up in the church. I think Sometimes we spend a lot of time preaching on behavior modification. Here's what Christians should do, and here's what Christians shouldn't do. And so while there's a place for that, if it's the starting point to get the right behavior without transformation, we're in trouble. And and teenagers in particular feel they have to perform and get those behaviors right. We don't ever address the transformation that Christ brings I think young people in particular, but actually all of us, get disillusioned when we see people who should be performing better than us actually fall or fail. As a matter of fact, if you're not a Christian here today, we think it's great you're here. I think it's great you're here. Thank you for being here. But this may be the reason why you're not a Christian. Maybe you walked away from faith because people you looked up to who were supposed to have it together, you realized they didn't have it together. I think people get tired of putting on the mask, being their PR person, So they opt out of faith. It would just be so much easier to be a good, nice, 
moral person, remove the, the God part of this whole thing, and I could go on living and feel pretty good about myself. Where have we gone wrong? Why is it that when I said, sometimes in the church we wear masks, everyone goes, oh, yeah. Why is it that some here today are hurting and alone, but they're pretending everything is all right? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. And as you do, let me set it up for you. Galatians is written by uh, the Apostle Paul. He writes to a church that has both Jewish believers and Gentile believers Gentile being not Jewish believers. And, and they're divided over the place of the Old Testament law. Like, you know, we were Jewish, we became Christian, and we had the law, this is our identity, and this is the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, therefore. But the, but the Gentiles come in, like, what about them? They don't have this law, or we have to make them, in particular, one, one thing in particular, circumcision. What do we do about circumcision with these Gentile converts? Now, circumcision isn't a bad thing, although Paul really spoke very harshly about it with the people who wanted to force it upon Gentiles. It's not a bad thing. It's actually an outward sign of an inward reality. They were circumcised saying, I am, you know, this is what's my heart circumcised first before, we, yeah, we won't talk about that. There's children in the room. But listen, that, that's, that's the issue at hand. Not a bad thing, a good thing, but it just doesn't part of the Gentile culture before they became Christians. Paul opens up the book of Galatians, and we're going to get to chapter 5 in a moment. Let me just, I really want to set this up because the whole string of Galatians leads up to where we're going. He opens up really on the side of the Gentiles, really saying the cross is sufficient. Listen to this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. I am shocked that you are turning away. He's shocked that the church is turning away. What are they turning away to? Are they turning away to idols or to, to no, you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ, you are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. They are turning away, not to something that's way out of the box, but something that's, that looks a whole lot like the good news. And then Galatians chapter 2, Paul says in verse 19 that he has stopped trying to meet the requirements of the law so that he can live for the Lord. You take a look at that. Just glance at it. Chapter 2, verse 19. Verse 20, he says that he's, he's living by trusting the Son of God. Verse 21, that if, if the law was sufficient, there would be no need for him to die, for Christ to die. And then chapter 3, getting closer and closer to our passage today, he says, why, why did you start in the Spirit, but now you're turning back to using human effort? Galatians 3.22, for we are all prisoners of sin. Freedom comes from believing in Christ. That word believe there, the Greek word believe, actually can be translated uh, faith, belief, and trust. And sometimes the word faith is so loaded, we, put, we give it such a churchy meaning, but it just means trust. I trust Jesus. Remember that, because this is an important word throughout this message. Now let's read Galatians chapter 5, starting verses, in verse 1. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. 
I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you are trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. This first verse, Paul says, man, you've been set free. And he connects it with chapter 4, because chapter 4, he kind of ends talking about uh, Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and their kids. One was born in slavery, one was not. And he's saying, you're the one who's not born in slavery. So he's saying, therefore, Christ has set us free. You're not from... You're not born of a slave. You're born free because of what Christ has done. But slavery to what? Because I think if I was going to write this verse, I would probably write chapter 5, verse 1 this way. So Christ has set us free. Now make sure that if you stay free, make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to sin. Because Christ set us free from slavery to sin, right? So make sure you don't get caught up in slavery to sin again. But is that what's written there? No, it's slavery to the law. Wait a minute, slavery to the law? Yeah, that's slavery. The law being a good thing, because circumcision is showing an outward sign of an inward reality, but he's saying you're slaves to it. See, if, if the law reflects the, the condition of our heart, that's actually the issue with the law, is our hearts are wicked and fallen and rebellious and selfish. But then verse 2, he says that if you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, everyone say, make you right. No, don't say it. I'm not that guy. That's my preacher from when I was a kid. (laughs) Make you right with God. If you're counting on this to make you right with God, then Christ didn't have to die. There's no benefit of him dying to you. If you're trying to make right with God by doing something, adding circumcision to the cross shows that you're not fully trusting Christ and the work that Christ has done. Those who add works to what Christ has done invalidates his work on the cross. Verse 3, he says that by returning to the law, you bring an obligation that if you submit to just the circumcision part, then you have to submit to all of it, all of the law. And then in verse 4, once again, if you're trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, You've been cut off from Christ. Woe. You have fallen away from God's grace. Notice he didn't say, you know what? Christ is great. The law, extra credit. It's a bonus. You get Christ and keep the law, you are way ahead of everybody else. No, he says you have fallen away from grace. That's tough. That's, he's saying you're disqualifying yourself by adding to the cross. Look at verse 5 and 6. Let me read it to you again. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. You see, there's a security that comes when you put your faith in Christ. Look at it. We wait to receive it. Not, But we who put our faith in Christ, we hope to receive this righteousness. No, there is a security that exists when you put your faith in Christ that does not exist if you're trying to make yourself right with God by doing something, because you'll never know if you've done enough. 
Faith in Jesus means that you trust that he has done enough. And I realize for some in this room who maybe aren't people of faith, that's a big step of faith, but that's why we call it faith. Now, I know some of you are going, okay, Jerome, I get this, but who in this room is trying to keep Old Testament law? Like, does this even apply to us today? And I'll say it does, not specifically because Old Testament law, but I believe that today we have a slavery that exists in the church, a slavery that exists in the Christian life, and that's a slavery to what I call the gospel of sin management. That's how I grew up, managing my sins, hearing sermons on behavior modification, knowing what I'm supposed to do and not do, and making sure I did those things, making sure I didn't sin as much, or at least as much as, less than that guy, at least, you know, like, if I, I'm going to sin, but let me just not sin that much. Make me feel good about myself. And maybe God won't be as upset with me because he's more upset with that guy. This game that we play called sin management, which I think we think is noble and we think it's the right thing to do, like I'm, I'm nailing myself to the cross. You can't nail yourself to the cross. We all agree. I think we all agree. If you're a Christian here today, you're here because you say Christ is the one who is our Savior, or our Redeemer. He's the one who makes us right. But yet on the grassroots level, when we live our life out there, we do live as if it's up to us. We view ourselves as if it's up to us. Here's a little, you know, remember that guy? You might be a redneck if. You might be a sin manager if. You believe that striving to overcome the sin in your life is how you become intimate with God. As long as that sin's there, you can't be in close relationship with God. That's sin management. You might be a sin manager if you think that doing the right things and avoiding the wrong things makes you holy. You might be a sin manager if you feel like Jesus Christ died on the cross, washed all away my sins, like he erased the whiteboard and said, here, bud, hold that, keep it clean. See, the problem with sin management, it has the wrong focus trying to take care of your own sin issues, trying to, trying to be right with God by how you perform leads to guilt and shame. It's a whole lot of guilt and shame because your performance is terrible. I'm not doing that because I'm judging you. I'm doing that because I know my performance is terrible. I just know how to hide it from you. That's like too real from a preacher, isn't it? Look at Galatians 2.19 real quick. Paul says this, he says, I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements. I stopped looking at, this, at the self-centeredness of performance that I might live for Christ. There is a freedom that comes when he lets go of the performance of trying to, to live right and be right. Suddenly he lives for God. Similar, in Galatians 2, the very first part of 2.19, he says this, for when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. That's the other thing about sin management. Guilt and shame, it, 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 that's what results. That God loved us so much that he gave his son to die on the cross, but usually he looks at you and he's pretty disappointed. Am I, am I the only one who's ever felt that way? Did I live like all my teenage years that way? He loves me so much, he sacrificed his son, but he's really disappointed in me most of the time. 
Maybe I'm the only one. See, we feel like God is unpleased with us, with our performance. Guilt says, I, I did something wrong. And, and shame says, what's wrong with me? The fruit of sin management, guilt and shame. What happens when you, when you feel guilty for falling short, for failing? That's where you put the mask on. That's where you tell people, oh, I'm fine. But you're not really fine. You're hurt and tired and lonely. You have to hold people at arm's length. Shame causes us to wear a brave face. Shame says, I'm, well, I'm working on it. I don't, I, I'm working on it. Shame's kind of optimistic, like, I'm going to do better. I'll get it this next time. It seems noble and brave to say, I'm going to work harder and try harder and roll up my sleeves and get it done. But shame really is anger turned inward. And then perhaps worst of all, something happens when you, do, when you play the sin management game. I think this is the worst thing that happens. Spiritual pride. Because the truth of the matter is some of us, especially if we've been in church a long time, do a pretty good job of managing our sin, at least the outward sins that others can see. So we're looking pretty good, especially compared to that guy. Spiritual pride says, I'm better than you. Pride is judgmental. It lacks love and grace towards others who fail. Because if I'm working hard to keep my stuff together, if I'm working hard, then you should be working just as hard. And if you fail, I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for you. That's what spiritual pride does. Because that guy is actually my competition in the pecking order of who's more spiritual. I am. The reality is we are blinded by our proficiency at being self-proficient. Spiritual pride. Let me go back to verses 5 and 6. Let me read them again because I want to emphasize something here. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit of being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. That word received by faith, once again, it's that word, that Greek word pistis. It's faith, trust. Let's just use the word trust because I think the word trust is, is not as loaded of a term. That we are trusting what Christ has done. That we are trusting that what God says of us is true. That you are already holy and you are already godly. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you are holy and godly. And I don't care what you did before you showed up here. And I know the objection to that is, well, I don't feel holy, and I, my life doesn't certainly look holy. And that's okay. Because we are in process. We are in this process of being changed and transformed. Listen, a, a caterpillar goes through a transformation, but before it, it becomes an actual butterfly, is it, is it a butterfly? I think it's a butterfly. It just hasn't plumped up and stuck its wings out of its fat little body. It just needs to mature. And that's the one thing I want you to grab out of this. This, this next three weeks, are gonna, it's going to build off each other, but this is kind of that foundational thing I want you to see, and we'll illustrate it here in a second, but the Christian life is a journey of trust in which we mature to who God says 
in which you mature into who God says you already are. Later on in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, Paul talks about living by the Spirit's power. You can take a glance at it really quick, but in 16 through 26, he talks about this constant tension between what the Spirit wants and what the flesh wants. In verse 19, he goes, these are the things that happen when you follow the sinful natures, your sinful nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, you know, the list goes on. Can I be clear to you guys? That is not a don't do list. It's not a here's what you're not supposed to do list. This is here's what happens when you follow the list. It's going to happen, right? It's not, it's not a stay away from list. He's just describing what happens. But we read that as a to-do list or not to-do list. And then in verse 22 through 23, we read the fruit of the Spirit as, well, here's, you're a Christian. Here's your to-do list. Love, joy, peace. But no, he's saying when you're led by the Spirit, this is the fruit. I don't know if you know this about fruit, but fruit doesn't like try to be fruit. It just kind of appears. An apple shows up on an apple tree's branch because it's an apple tree. The fruit of the Spirit shows up because we're connected to the vine. These aren't to-do lists. The Christian life is a journey of trust which you mature into who God says you really are. I have one takeaway, one application point I want you to make. is Listen, if you, if you were going to come to church on one Sunday in the month of March, let it be next week. I'm sorry, you're here uh, already. But let it be next week. Because I think there's a freedom in next week's message. But I'm going to set it up right here. We're going to, I have Hawk and, and Pastor Josh are going to help me out with an illustration. Um, go ahead, go ahead. The one thing I want you to walk away with with this point of this Christian journey being a, a journey of trust. Not a moment of trust. Like, I, I, I came to the altar, I prayed, there was a moment of trust. No, it's a lifetime of trust that God says, I am who he says I am. Here's what I want you to do. Trust that God is transforming you and that your actions will change as you change. Let that be the starting point. Not, not behavior modification, but heart transformation and the behavior follows. The only way you can really do this is if you uh, check your motives. This is going to sound weird at first, but I'll explain it, and it'll, we'll build off of it. What are your motives? Come on, guys. Are your motives to please God or trust God? Because I really kind of believe you can only do one and not both. I know I'm going to get emails about that one. Are you trying to please God? Or are you trusting God? This right here is uh, an illustration of... Uh, my sin. That's why it's black. Oh, it's right here. oh, yeah, there it is. That's my sin. My sin's a bunch of garbage. Right? And uh, Pastor Josh is going to stay on stage. Hawk's going to go down. I've asked Pastor Josh to play God. Look, look at that beard. It's going to be a hard role to fill. So, so, so here, here, here's what I want to just... We're going to build off this next week, I promise. And next week, I think there's absolute freedom, but I, I want you to just get this first concept. Stand over there. Right now, what's between me and Lord, please stand over there. No. What's between me and God right now? My sin. What's the Bible say? That sin separates us from God? Yeah, but what happens when you become a Christian? That's in Isaiah, guys. But I think somehow that my way to get to God and to be close to God, even as a Christian who's already put my faith in Jesus, is to somehow remove my sin, get past my sin, 
work this thing down, and we'll talk about more about that next week. I am trying to please God by working on my sin issue. I could, believe, I could, I could, try, to, I could try to please him or I could try to believe in him. If I believe that God says who he says I am, then my position's over here. And yeah, I still have a sin issue, but you know what it is? It's, it's, it's God saying, Jerome, you're a mess, bud. But we got this. Through the power of the Spirit, like Paul says, that's how we transform. See how close I'm standing to this guy? I'm afraid, and I live my life this way, so I'm not judging you. I live a lot of my Christian life over here. Feeling like it was over there. But what can separate me from the love of God? I tell you what, there are people in this room and you're tired and you're weary because you're over there. But the, real is, the reality is that's just in your head because you've let sin management and your performance and your failures just paint that picture. But the reality is God is much closer to you than you think. He's much closer than you feel. Thanks, Josh. Yeah. I, um, yeah, give it for Josh. He makes a great God. Man, if, if we can get this concept, if we can get this idea that this is a, a journey of trusting God. If we could, in our mind, move ourselves from on the other side of our sin pile, trying to get to God, to right next to him, working on it together as he transforms us. Because you know, you know the freedom that comes with that? That's life abundant. There's a peace of mind that comes when you know you're simply maturing. There's, man, I think there's a lightness to our life when you live that way. I'm not saying we laugh at sin, but there's, a certain, there's, there's people in this room who probably don't do a very good job of laughing at yourself. Why not? There's probably those in this room who, who feel like, man, if there's a, if there's a mistake, someone's got to pay. And the hard thing about that is you know your mistakes more than anyone else does, and you probably beat yourself up. Some of us are beating ourselves up not because God asked us to, but because we think that's what he wants. Maybe it was your parents or maybe it was your football coach. I don't know. That's not the way the gospel works. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our mistakes and our sin on the cross. May we live a life that trusts him. That we are who he says we are. We sing that song. Imagine if we did that, we would actually walk with a lighter touch to our life. Imagine if we did that, we could probably take off the mask. We don't have to be so afraid of what others think because I know what God thinks of me. I think if we did that, we'd probably show grace to others when they fail and they stumble. We'd probably show grace to ourselves 
which is the hardest person sometimes to show grace to. Our lives would be marked with humility because there's a confidence in Christ's work. And our relationships would be transformed. Being able to love and to receive love and to be like the name of this series, the real deal. <laughs>